Welcome to Inspire Campfire, a podcast where ordinary people tell their stories of extraordinary adventure. These are campfire stories meant to inspire the rest of us to light the fire within, get outside, follow our dreams, and return to tell our own stories. Ready? Let's strike the match. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Scott Wurzbacher, and today we're going to talk about becoming fearless. When we listen to the voice inside that calls us to adventure, we often have to confront fear in the process. And today's guest is going to show us just how that's done. I have with me Jermaine Andre, martial arts Hall of Fame inductee, two-time world champion, UFC vet, five-time U.S. champion, author, teacher, and mentor. Jermaine is from St. Louis, Missouri, and he's a pioneer in professional mixed martial arts, or MMA for short. He's got seven competition titles competing around the world. And today, beyond his MMA career, he continues to share his gifts by educating people about the practical and reliable use of MMA for self-defense, fitness, personal wellness, relationship bonding, life structure, and fun. Jermaine has an incredible story, full of adversity, overcoming challenge, and confronting fear. Jermaine, welcome to the campfire. Thanks for having me on, Scott. Man, we got a lot to cover, and uh, this is going to be, I'm so excited about this conversation. I have uh, been studying your website and reading your book, and man, it's just packed full And I think we just need to dive straight into this idea of fear and overcoming fear. And so I just wonder for listeners, if we could just go right to kind of Jermaine's early life and some of these first experiences of experiencing this thing called fear. Main thing I remember, I can remember as a little kid and you you don't quote me on the age, you know, it's been a a long time. I mean, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11 years or somewhere in there, but small enough while I was at day camp. And I stepped on a harness nest, you know, the ones that's in the ground, whatever, the, those, the big, nasty mean yeah. And uh, they came out and attacked me, my friends and I. And I was at camp and I had an older brother who was at camp with me. And so I'm running out, getting stung, just getting tore up by these harnesses. And we ran out to the camp counselors. And as I was running to the camp counselor, I saw my brother. He came running towards me and he actually ran into the swarm of harness, ran into it. And he's attacking the harness. He's smacking him, knocking him out of the air. You know, hey, he said, hey, that's my baby brother. You know, just, I mean, like he's talking to human beings. That's my baby brother. Da, 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 da. And I remember even seeing him. He smacked one of them and knocked it on the sliding board. And he's over stomping this harness on the sliding board, just stomping these harness. And, you know, and then I look and these harness are running from him. <laughs> he's chasing them back into the woods. You know, so I'm seeing all this and I make it to the camp council, you know, and the harness, they, they're backed off. Oh, we outran them finally. And they stood the uh, camp council checkers. Now I got stings everywhere. My friends are stung everywhere. My brother did not have one sting on him, not one sting. So that right there, that kind of stored in my core as a kid. When I saw that, I said, he wasn't afraid. So not only did he run the, the hornets run from him, he was beating up hornets, you know, just knocking them out of the air. So that really stored it to me to say, you know, man, you can never be afraid of anything. If he made these creatures that he, you know, you know, can't even communicate with, run from him, 
And I really understood that at a really young age. And I, I think that has, I attribute that to a lot of my fearlessness. The Hornets could smell fear. That's what I'm hearing you say. Yeah. How did your brother become fearless? I have no idea. I can't say. You know, that's just, uh, I think he was just protective of me. I think he was protective of you. And that's uh, from what I've kind of come to gather, that need to be protective, that desire to be protective has also fueled you. Yes. And you, you've had a lot of adversity in your younger years that has led you to kind of where you are today. And there was a lot of fighting in your younger years. I wonder if you could tell us about that. Too much fighting. I was always the guy who, um, you know, who stood up to the bullies. You know, and I was, uh, you know, martial art trained at a young age, and I was a big Bruce Lee fan. Watched all his movies, you know, super athletic. I was one of those guys with, you know, just born with super DNA. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I can remember eight years old, my parents bought me, I don't know if you probably remember the, remember the, uh, the old weights? They were concrete with the plastic on them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my parents bought me a whole weight, put it in the basement, and said, go lift weights. You know, and I just started teaching myself and practicing, and I just picking stuff up. So I was always strong, you know, always athletic, you know, and uh, whenever somebody would mess with my friends or anything like that, we get in the fights. And I can recall even a time, and, and probably came back my brother saving his life. And I was probably about 10 or 11. He's probably 12 or 13. And I would say he's probably 12. So I was probably 10. And uh, we were playing at a playground, and we got into it, or he got to it with some adult men. You know, you're talking, I'm talking. 23 24 and one of the men was picked up a um a fin old fence post you know you remember the the chain link fences yeah main post and it was it was dug up and the, you got it's got the concrete on the bottom because they have to pour concrete on and he picked this big heavy post was walking slowly up beneath behind my brother well i used to always carry um nunchucks yeah you know, but um, when I was a kid, you know, I was getting trained a little bit in martial arts by some I had uncles and, and friends, my, my friends' uh, dads, who were old Vietnam vets. So they were kind of crazy about the martial arts. So one of them, you know, he saw how good I was getting. He, he made me some nunchucks, drilled out the bottom of them, and put lead in them. And said, start working these, you know, to make you strong. And so I got these big, you know, and this little kid just working these. And so I would carry them with me, like Bruce Lee. You know, I'm trying to be like Bruce Lee. And I got him in my back. I'm just having fun, showing off with him every now and again. So I see this guy coming up with this pole behind my brother. And he, I'm like, you know, I'm trying to calculate, is he getting ready to hit my brother in the head with this thing? You know, and I'm like, and I'm thinking to myself, yes, he is. I, see, I read it. I can look at his expression. I can see that. And I imagine my brother falling, bleeding, and, and you know, dying. Yeah. And so I said to my, and I remember it went through my head. I said, what would Bruce Lee do right now? And I said, he'd hit this dude with the nunchucks. I pulled the nunchucks out and I just bah, as hard as I could and cracked the guy, you know, bah, I hit him again and he dropped, you know, and he's got blood, a little bit of blood coming. He's holding his head screaming. I'm like, wow, it worked. And so we ran off. We ended up getting away, went home. Uh, the cops came later, stopped by our house. And of course, you know, they didn't get us. We didn't get in trouble for it. They ended up the, the other grown man who started got in trouble for, you know, harassing kids like they were. So I kind of, at that moment, I was actually traumatized by that. A lot of people, they don't understand that. Yeah. That scared me to death that my brother, I, I mean, I had nightmares of him dying over and over and over. So then that developed this thing in me where I said, okay, the martial arts is not a game. This stuff is real, man. This is not fun. I, if, you know, if I didn't have those nunchucks, my brother would be dead. And that mentality got in my head. I said, I'm never, ever, ever going to allow anyone to hurt my brother or my sisters first you know if i smell danger or see it i'm bringing it to them you know death or not and so that was kind of how i started off at a young age you know just being a being worried 
that something could happen to somebody I care for. And it really made me a, a super protector. Yeah. Jermaine, like where you grew up, I mean, it seemed like this was pretty common, like just kind of fighting. There was a lot of it going on in the neighborhood and a lot of it, it seems like it was, you know, you're, you're fighting and you're, you know, there's, there's physical contacts and striking and there's blood and there's, but, but it seemed like there was almost like a camaraderie around it. It was like, there was almost like gentlemen's agreement around it. Like this was just kind of what you guys, you guys did growing up and it was okay. And there were some like understandable rules. Is that yeah, there were, you know, I mean, I'm going to say sometimes you'll see when you start reading Muay Tiger. Yeah. Sometimes it was bad life and death stuff against true enemies. Yeah. But most of the time it was just, you know, especially like even when I moved to from to Wyoming, uh, and even in St. Louis, I, I was I would always win and beat up everybody. You know, there wasn't time I lost, you know, and I'm not bragging. It's just the truth, right. you know, because I ended up when I went fight pro, I ended up getting my butt kicked a couple of times, you know. And so it happens. I just hadn't met my match yet, but I was just strong and I was quick and I was serious. You know, at that age, as I was coming up, nobody was as serious as I was because I wasn't playing. You know, I knew what could probably happen. So I was coming with this force that people couldn't understand or handle. But um, yeah, I had a, a many times, you know, the, the fight would happen. Then after the fight, you become friends. Um, I've even had guys I know there was a, when I was in Wyoming, I fought probably four or five times in the streets, you know, fighting cowboys. It was just, you know, people just getting into stupid stuff, kid stuff. And I'd beat this guy up. So then they get their better friend. Then I beat him up. So then they fly their cousin in from Montana, you know, something, and I beat him up and then they fly in another, and he's great. Then I knock him out. And so it was always just turning to that. And it was, this is one of the greatest things. One of the got the main guy, the last guy I knocked out was supposed to be the toughest guy. You know, this really, really tough guy. We got into it and uh, I ended up dropping him. And after I went to, I went to end up going to prison. I went to prison. He came to prison and Ended up being one of my best friends in the world. One of the nicest guys you ever meet. Hilarious. I mean, just the greatest guy in the world. You know, big lesson for me because I felt bad. And, of course, when he came to – he started the fight with me because he was yeah. flew to town to fight me. And I was trying to leave us get away, and he started with me. But still, it showed that you let all these people aggravate something that's not even true. Here's two guys we connected alone, away from everybody – he became best friends. I mean, I still, you know, I'm not going to say his name. I still remember when I love that guy to death. If I seen him right now, we'd hug each other. And I mean, we probably would never separate again as friends, you know? Yeah. So it seems like, you know, there's a whole side of, of Jermaine and this kind of life of like self-defense, protecting yourself, fighting where there's like a camaraderie. It's almost kind of like a game, a competition, but then there was a time like, and I'm wondering if it's this time where the, these older men, with the uh, fence pipe, like, is that when it kind of became real that this is not a game and it's, you know, there, there are situations where there's like real life and death self-defense. Yes. That's when it was real. Um, of course, there were other times when people pull weapons on me. Like I said, I was, I was, and I even say this now, I say, you know, uh, being trained in violence allows you to stop violence. And even when my younger days, you know, 15, 60s, that people pull weapons, even guns, well, as soon as they pulled it, I was right on them. And, and the fact that I could do that and drop and take the weapon from it, throw it, I stopped that from becoming something deadly. I stopped that even for me, from me having to, you know, use lethal force on them because they pulled it. Oh, I got to pull mine because I'm scared. Bow, and I, and I got to blow this guy away. When they would pull a weapon, I knew I was so quick it could fight and I wasn't afraid. So I just yeah. take it to them, disarm them, and they're down hurt. Now they get to live another day. So I, I started kind of learning that subconsciously in my earlier years and I really, really didn't even 
understand it until I actually had an incident when I was in prison where a guy snuck up behind me and attacked me with a weapon from behind. And uh, it did, he didn't get me down. He actually cracked me in the head with something that busted my head open. But, you know, I mean, I'm the hardest person in the world to knock out. My mom always said my head so hard it could break an anvil. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so he hit me and I, I heard it. And then I felt blood. And I turned around and looked and he's standing back there with this, you know, he had a big giant padlock on the weight belt. He's looking at me like, what the? I Come here. And I pulled him in myself and I beat the dog crap out of him. Well, while I was beating him down, I was saying to myself, hey, you know, and this guy was, uh, you know, he's affiliated with one of my greatest enemies, which I'm not gang affiliated. I yeah. never have been gang affiliated, but he's affiliated with somebody who just don't like my kind. And so I'm saying, this is my opportunity to, to get rid of one of these. He just attacked me from behind and with the weapon in my cell. There's no cameras in here. I can, this guy, and it's over. And when I looked down to take him out, all I saw was a, a hurt being you know, uh, just a hurt person who actually needed protecting from me, you know, cause I knew what I was capable. And I, it was really nice. weird. I felt that. And I seen that and I looked and I said, I can't, and I actually felt sorry for him, you know? Yeah. So I, t- I said, man, can you get up? You know, can you make it back to your cell? And he looked at me just kind of, yeah, man, I can't. Thanks, man. Thanks. Thanks for not, you know, and he thanked me for not taking him out. And I helped him up and took him back to his cell. But man, that guy ended up becoming friends later, you know? So, I learned so much because you even say, you know, this guy, well, he was affiliated and he was just doing what he felt he had to do because I was the top dog at that time. And, oh, you got to take Jermaine out of this, and that, you know, and when it came down to it, one on one with each other, without all of that crap around us, we're friends, you know. Hey, everyone, it's Scott here. Did you know that the members of my real estate team, W Realty Group, are listening to their own voices that call to adventure by setting big goals? Some of those goals include planning trips to Bali and the Kingdom of Bhutan, buying investment homes and running the Chicago Marathon. At W Realty Group, we support and encourage these big goals and want to help turn them into reality. We're currently looking to add new members to the team. If you know a great real estate agent in the Charlotte, North Carolina area that would benefit from being part of our team, please send a text, an email, or give me a call. And know that when you support W Realty Group, you're also supporting this podcast. Thanks for listening. Yeah, it's it's amazing. So, you know, you brought up uh, prison, your experience in prison. So I wonder if we could just kind of rewind um, and just for context of listeners, can we talk about that and how you ended up there? I'll try to keep that short. Um, you guys want to hear more? Buy the book. <laughs> it's, it's all in there. Uh, pretty much. When I, I graduated high school, I had a high school sweetheart. She was a, I was a senior. She was a junior. So I graduated. She became a, a um, senior and she was from Wyoming. Mm-hmm. She was actually half Native American. And um, her mom was in Wyoming. Her mom was dying of cancer. So she had to leave to go live with her mom because her mom had like six months to live. And she's like, I got I want to go be my mom. So of course she asked me if I would go, me being a loyal person I was, course i'm not gonna let you go by yourself and go through that so i went up there with her you know we took care of mom things like that um we ended up getting a situation where you know our mom died and we were about to be homeless you know our car broke down you know i'm from a poor family you know i called home nobody could help out in any kind of way you know this is wyoming i don't know if you're familiar with wyoming it gets 30 40 below up there you know we get you get what's called white out it snows so much mm-hmm. you can't see in front of your face so the winter's coming up and what ended up happening ended up pulling uh armed robbery and so for, and that's what ended up landing me in prison. And of course, there's a lot of uh, details 
that goes behind how the robbery happened, why the decision was made, how it went down, and all that kind of stuff that really show a lot about my character and my personality. Because even when I went into prison, uh, you know, of course, you forced, you know, a lot of people try to force you to follow what's called the convict code and things like that. I got into a lot of arguments with people because I would tell them, let me tell you something, I'm not a criminal. I do not belong here. I just committed a crime. You know, I'm not about, I don't, I don't like hurting people. I'm not trying to sell dope to the neighborhood so I can have rims on my car or none of that crap. I'm just in the wrong place. So they're not trying to pull me in that game. I don't play that. You know, and, I, and like I say, even through prison, I didn't join any games, anything like that. I was always my own game, you know, and, and people knew that, you know, you got something with me. I got no problem dealing with you and all your boys and everybody else in the crew, but you're not going to put me in a position where I'm going to become a bad person because I'm afraid of you. That's not happening. Your time in prison, I mean, there's so much that we could talk about there. You've had like fighting in you, training and experience through your whole life. And when you got to prison, you were actually able to use all of that for good inside prison. And I wonder like to, to impact the other inmates. And I just wonder if you could kind of speak to that a little bit. Well, I'm gonna tell you this first. When I, when I learned that I was gonna be going in for two, five to seven years, and uh, I actually got sentenced and I was standing in court and the judge sentenced me and I just kind of, you know, and he's like, all right, you ready? Blah, blah, blah. I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And then he like looked at me. He's like, I just sent you to five to seven years in prison. You're 18 years old and you're not even flinching. Do you even care about your life? I said, what? I said, yeah, I care about my life. I said, but I know that I have to go to prison. So I've planned to, I'm, I'm not going to smoke cigarettes. I'm not getting tattoos. I'm not doing drugs in there. I'm going to try to get in school. You know, I'm a lift weight. So I'm just, I'm, I'm prepared to go. That's what I have to do. And he looked at me, said, I've never heard anyone say anything like that. He said, if you keep that attitude, young man, you're going to come out a great person. You know, so I, I mean, I wish the judge could see me now. <laughs> you know, he, he'd be like, I'd be like, see, you predicted the future, yeah. yeah you know? That's awesome. And so when even when I went in, uh, two really good stories of what you're saying. This is a really good one. Uh, when I was there, I was sent to the prison farm. Uh, I was sent to Horse Hill, which is where you train wild mustangs. And I mean, people get tore up up there. You always got an ambulance taking somebody out because a, a, a horse they don't play. You know, they'll 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 take you out quick. And so I uh, I had yet learned to buck a horse. I had only rode probably four or five, you know, trained horses. And it was my job to learn how to train. They always buck, throw you stuff. And I seen them and they were walking this horse called Thunder. He was uh, like one of the biggest horses up there. And they were walking one of the cowboys, walking to a trailer. And I was just walking, you know, and I was, you know, I'm, and I'm probably 20, 21. You know, I'm, I mean, ripped because I'm lifting weights. I'm just built like the Incredible Hawk, yeah. you know, and I still got that that smart mouth black guy St. Louis attitude. You know what I'm saying? I had it. Yeah. I don't know how they put up with me in there. You know, I was walking. I see him. I say, uh, what, what, y'all, what you doing with Thunder, man? And the cowboy, you know, he's a seasoned cowboy. I mean, been doing his whole life. He's, you know, runs the horse here. He's like, uh, we'll take him to the glue factory, bam, bam. I say, the glue factory? I said, what is that? They say, uh, they're going to make glue out of him. And I'm like, what do you mean make glue out of him? I say, and then somebody else, another cowboy, they're going to kill him. I said, kill him? Why Why would you kill a horse? He says, is he sick? He said, no, you can't ride him. He's untrainable. So I said, well, well just let him go there. Put him back out, you know, in the, out in, uh, back on the mountain. We had a mountain we got him from. They said, uh, no, we don't want him to breed. Other ones like him. So I'm, I'm not liking the sound of that. <laughs> you know, I'm like, what? I said, well, wait a minute, man. I say, so because he won't let you ride him, you going to kill him? They said, yeah, he's on trampoline. He started kind of getting an attitude. I said, I thought cowboys loved horses, man. You see that on movies all the time. They said, but if you can't ride them, bam, bam, we got so they kind of get mouthy. 
And they, uh, you know, he said, "What you think you can ride him or something?" And I, so I get mad. I say, "All ride horses. I beat little pugs loud mouth. At, you know, da da da, motherfucker." <laughs> so I, you know, they get me. I get triggered. What, what you want, some you mother? And of course, they all back down because they yeah. knew. So I'm like, "Yeah, mother." So I'm walking away, and it hit me. Some, you know, I always got this voice that talked to me, and not, you know, not a voice you hear like some people, yep. but this thing, and it said, "Jermaine, you didn't do anything. All you did was feed your ego. That horse is still gonna die." And I hit me. I said. Okay, so what is my intention here? Is it to save the horse? And I said, hey, and the guy's like, yeah. I said, get my saddle. I'm going to ride him. And the whole horse heel just went dead quiet. You know, all these cowboys. I mean, real cowboys, Wyoming. They looking like, what? Oh, he's lying. He's like, he's like you really serious, man? I said, yeah, get the, get, put, take him in the round pin. I'm going to ride him. And they're like, wow. So they all started to spread word spread. So all these people are gathering, you know, and they take the horse. They put my saddle on them. You know, they they leg them up, you know, because never you get, them, they get on a horse that's, uh, that's wild. You tie one leg up so they don't buck while you're getting on. They buck while you're getting on. You step through the stirrup. They'll run. They'll kill you. They'll run mm -hmm. you to death. They, they think you're a snake at their feet. They will not stop mm -hmm. running until you're dead. Mm -hmm. You know, someone shoots that horse. And so I'm sitting I'm like, they leg them up. You know, I go, I climb on the horse and the, they lay, they untie him. He takes off. I mean, I probably got about three bucks in, <laughs> throws me off. I fly off, hit my head on the round pin, land in a puddle of piss and horses. You know, yeah. I get up, everybody's laughing at me, just cracking up. Ah! And I get up, I'm dusting off. I'm like, man, you know, and everybody's like, huh, you want to try again? And I'm, I'm sitting there, I say, yeah. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, the starts and they say, well, oh, he's going to go again. So now I started to get a little bit more to get some respect now. He's going to get back on. You know, and then people saying, bam, you need to be careful, man. He's going to kill you. I said, no, he ain't. And they're like, well, leg him up. I said, no, don't leg him up. He said, you sure? I said, no, he's tired of being tied up. You know, I don't know where this came from. Yeah. It's, like I said, it's always something that speaks through me. And I'm yeah. like, tired of being tied up, man. Leave him like that. And they said, all right, bam. So you got this lead rope that's, you know, on their harness. And I go up to grab the lead rope and he rears up, you know, Justin, I yank that rope, pull him to the ground. I said, look, man, you got to let me ride you or they're going to kill you. He, he it. I said, I pulled him out. I said, I ain't scared of you. You got to let me ride you or you are dead. I don't know why I said it. I didn't believe this animal could understand me. And so I go and then you know, I got one guy just holding his head so he don't circle out on me. Put my foot in the stirrup, get on top of him. You know, he takes off. Oh, he's moving. Did not buck. I'm like, oh, so I'm riding, riding. And then you hear these cowboys throwing them hassages. I'm like, man, I say, no, well, he's got a buck because, you know, I'm an extremist. You buck me off. We got to, we going to ride. We got a buck. And so I'm kicking them. I'm hitting them, you know, and they say, kick him in the flanks, bam, kick him in the flanks, which is, that's where you don't kick a horse. Mm -hmm. That makes them buck. And so I reach back my, kick him back in the flanks. He would not buck. And so I'm riding him and I stop him. He's sitting there. He's just kind of moving around. I said, I want him to buck. I got to get all the buck out of him so y'all don't kill him. So uh, a guy comes in with a rope and I say, uh, come on, get him moving. He smacks him on the butt with the rope. And I'm riding and kick. He would not buck. And I told the guy, I said, just snake him, which is you throw the rope at the horse's feet. Yeah. They think it's a snake. And that's when they really go crazy. You throw the rope at the horse's feet. Horse still would not buck. Just running, I'm controlling, moving them. Man, I finally got off the horse. You know, and uh, they're like, everybody's clapping. Oh, wow. And I'm just like, what in the hell did I just do? You know, and I get off and I just walk away. And after that, that horse never bucked anybody. That horse ended up getting sold to a good family, man. You know, I can't, I can't help but take that back to the Hornets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. You know, yeah. I mean, the, the Hornets, like, because you developed this fearlessness, right? Right. And it was just like the Hornets with your brother. Yep. 
I love that so much. Okay. Um, the second piece while you were in prison was the training that you did with the other inmates. Can you talk about that? Yes. And the, the way that that started was really awesome. I was, uh, I actually got sent to solitary confinement for a year. Very long story. I read, I, I led an uprising in the prison, uh, went against the governor. You can even look out, sued the governor of Wyoming. Didn't win, <laughs> you know, of course not, you know, but uh, that was my first fight in court, you know, starting to, you right. know, stuff. So anyway, I was in solitary confinement for a year. And, uh, and when I say an uprise, it was a peaceful one. I actually got in trouble for stopping a riot. I was the one who brought all the, the gangs and the races together. And they all, so what happened was that scared the administrators that I had that kind of control. I ended up learning. Somebody taught me that the fact that I could do that with just my voice and they couldn't even do it with their guns. They didn't like that at all. Mm -hmm. So I got snatched off the yard. But uh, while I was down there, um, you know, the, the inmates, the, you know, you're on a the tier, there's 12 cells. And you're behind a locked door, locked down 23 hours a day. They open one door, cell door all the time for you to go take a shower. You got a shower at the end. And if you behave, they'll let you just kind of walk around and talk to some of the other inmates in their cells. You got what's called a bean shoe where they serve you your food. You see in the movies all the time. Well, it's got a flap. And if everybody's behaving, they'll leave a flap down so you can, you, know, you can see each other and talk to each other. A lot of times the inmates, of course, get into it with the guards down there. And one time they were into it with the guards and, you know, a bunch of the inmates on the tier, they're, they're throwing, they're burning and throwing stuff at the guards, harassing the guards. And, well, I never participated in that, you know, and then one of the inmates, he said to me, he said, hey, bam, bam, you know, after everything happened, I said, yeah, what's up? He said, why don't you ever harass the guards with us? You know, da, da, da. you know, so I'm like, oh, crap. You know, I said, well, first of all, because they ain't messing with me. I'm not going to mess with them. So he says, they aren't messing with you. They're the ones got you locked up. I said, no, I got me locked up. When I stuck a gun to somebody face for money, that's my responsibility, you know? And so the other guy, well, the guy who had confronted me the first time, always getting in the crap, just always getting in the crap. From there, it led up to the, me and that guy, the main guy talking crap, becoming kind of like friends. Mm -hmm. One day, we, you know, we, we all bully each other, pick on each other, we tease each other. And he's like, I'm going to kick your butt. And I was like, what? I said, man, I'll rack my cell, you know, when you are out on your flag, you know, of course, it's inmate. We knew how to open our cell doors. We could... We could break in and out of anywhere we wanted to. First of all, the inmates are the ones who built the prison. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They built all the stuff. So we know how to do things. So one day he's out on his flag and I popped my door and I ran down to his cell. You know, he's like, whoa, what are you doing? I said, what you say? You go whoop my what? And so I started, he started with play fight. Well, I'm just, you know, treating him like a two-year-old. So he starts getting mad and he's, you know, and I'm just, I'm like, done. I throw him down. I'm holding him, you know, give him a noogie. And I run back to my cell and I close the door and I hear him. He's like, bam, bam. I said, yeah, what's up? Man, you whoop my, you know. I said, I said, I was just playing with you. He said, Bam, I know. He said, In the end, I wasn't playing, man. I said, You what? He said, I was really trying to fight you. I said, Oh, <laughs> I said, Well, I didn't even know you were really trying to fight me. He said, That's what I'm saying, man. You were just playing with me. And I said, Well, that's that martial arts stuff. He said, well, Can you teach me? And I said, No. I said, No. I said, this is stuff for honor, man. This stuff for protecting people. It's not so you're going to go and beat your wife or stab somebody again and stuff like that. He said, if you teach me, I'll, I won't do that. I said, whatever, dude. You, 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 I said, you're lying to me. He said, I'm not a liar. I keep my word. I said, well, I said, I have heard that about you. And then I said, okay, all right, Mr. Keep your word. I said, you start saying, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, no, sir, no, ma'am, to the guards down here, I train you. So I thought that was going to shut him down. You know what I'm saying, mind my own business. A couple of days pass and, you know, I'm listening. And I hear a guard in his cell, he's, yes, sir. Yeah, yes, sir. No, sir. I'm like, no way. And then, of course, what a guy, like, hey, bam, you hear him down there? I said, I hear that. No way. And so then I said, oh, I got to train this guy now. 
So I got <laughs> my word, you know. So I'm like, oh man, but so then I, I connected with him. And I told him, I said, look, this is how it goes, dude. This belongs to the people. When I say the people, I'm talking everybody. And I said, I will train a police. I'll train these guards here if they wanted training. So you can't, you got to get rid of all your bias. This ain't got nothing to do with race or none of that stuff. The martial arts is pure. And so you cannot get any write-ups. You cannot get in trouble. You can't even cuss anymore. You know, he's, I agree, sir. And so after that, probably about four or five more of them down there signed up for me. And I trained them down, down to solitary. Well, the guards saw how well-behaved my tear was. And so they pulled me out. Mr. Peace leader who came to solitary confinement for leading people peacefully, you know. So they pulled me out. They're like, "Man, what are you doing down there?" You know, Mr. Andre, to get those guys. Like, hey, how'd you make them? I said, "Wait, first of all, I ain't making nobody do anything. They control their own self. So don't start putting more years on me." Now they said, "No, no, 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 no. We're not mad." They said, "We know what happened to you out there. That was political. This is us, Jermaine. Don't even worry about." It. I said, "All right, what?" He said, "We really appreciate it. We hear you guys. The way you got the guys being respected. Is that? Do you need anything?" Say yes, I do. <laughs> yes, I do. I said, can we get a TV for the Super Bowl? You know, it's like, yeah, no problem. We'll put a TV down there for you guys. Super Bowl. I'm like, oh, this is good. I said, okay. And then, uh, you know, I like to have all vegetarian meals and some of those guys too, so they can get better fit. We can get that worked out for the kitchen. For so we just get everything worked out good like that. So I got this group of guys, and they're just getting. You know, I got to do push-ups and they get ripped down there. You know, got to meditate and just become these great people. So we come mm -hmm. out, get out on the yard, and the yard one pulls me in and says, "Hey, bam." You know, hey, man, I uh, heard about what you did in solitary. How'd you think about doing that out here? You want to run a school out here? I'm like, yes. And so he gave me the gym for like three hours a day. So it's yours for three hours a day. You guys can train on the floor, whatever you want to do, this and that. And the real good catch is he said to me, he said, I'll let you do it, but only one condition. When these tough guys come here, can I send them to you? I said, oh, yeah. I said, what are the toughest guys you got? I'm not playing with the martial arts. I want to test this stuff. I said, but the only thing is you have to let us fight bare knuckle. You know, he said, oh, no, no. He said, I can't do that. You'll kill somebody. I said, no. I said, think about why you brought me here. You know, I'm not out to kill anybody. But these guys are the real deal, man. This ain't no joke. These guys come in here. They didn't did the, they the real deal. So I have to show them that this is the real deal. I got to let them challenge me and try to take me out, try to take the guys out so they can respect that and believe in their heart that this is real. Then they'll bow in and then I can have better control. I said, but it can't be no katas in the air and just doing that kind of stuff. Which that stuff is beautiful in certain places i said but this is maximum security <laughs> you know what i'm saying so he, and he said all right bam you can do it and so we, and i started in there man and it was beautiful even something really cool is uh to become an instructor under me you had to actually fight me bare knuckle until you could knock me out or i knocked you out and so i had probably about five people that crossed that path you know and uh actually fought and they all got knocked out of course you know but they really tried to fight me and i would make them fight me i mean they were of course they were afraid of me because especially when they see what i do to one of the other instructors and so when they come to me i say this is how it goes and i'd get hit and get hurt a little bit you know but I, of course i knew what i was doing more and i'd catch him and, and knock him out so was, but that's where it all started at yeah jermaine did you experience or witness i mean i'm sure you did just positive transformation based on your actions and what you did there with those inmates so positive that i have guys out here right now who i mean that was i mean what 20 years ago or so mm -hmm. you know right now who have families uh you know running construction companies driving trucks uh entrepreneurs you know still talk to me today very very positive transformation it gave them something to believe in a way to believe in themselves yeah. you know and to understand that self-control was the ultimate toughness not flying off the handle and losing it, you know, and even understanding how to truly win a fight because 
the whole time that I had the uh, that group, you know, we were respected and admired by all the inmates, you know, and not because we could fight, we were tough. Anybody can get stabbed in the back, you know, but because of the respect everybody showed, you know, you got all these older guys who are lifers in there who usually can't stand young guys because young guys always been stupid and challenging them. And, you know, they, you got my guys, yes, sir, into them and being nice to them. And they're like, man, I feel, you know, getting the respect as an elder that they didn't even get respect from their own family, you know, on the streets. So I, I saw that change. And that's one of the things that has made me fearless today with, I will go anywhere to talk to anyone. You know, I just spoke at Yateman, uh, little middle school here in St. Louis in North City. That's in the middle of North City, St. Louis. You know, even when I was going to go there, somebody was like, oh, man, it's a rough school. I said, you better think about who you're talking to. I was in solitary confinement can find me with you. And I watched this work like magic that you give somebody some respect and show them they have value and give them a sense of belonging to a power that is that is a power that is uh, that follows a code of honor. You know, and a, a code, a code of self-control, integrity, things like that. They, they flip quick and immediately. Yeah. And um, what about you personally? What did what did prison do for you? What transformation did you personally experience oh, there? Man. You know, I always say this: I was not arrested; I was rescued. I would never give my prison experience back for a hundred million dollars. Wow. Um, it helped me discover who I was. Well, first, it, it calmed me down. Uh, I was when I was, you know, fighting all the time and, you know, when weapons were getting involved, I was the one who would always go further than my enemy. You have to. Or else your enemy's going to go further. You take you out. So I knew that. So I was, man, I was wound up tight. You know, we've spent a lot of time talking about what had, what was a, a, a slice of your life, but you've had like such a full a full life of experience from your childhood prison was just a piece of that. And then you came out and you have a whole career within MMA. And, uh, you know, I mean, we like to talk on this podcast about the, the, this concept of the hero's journey, you know, it's this whole life experience and, and everything builds to the next moment in your life. And it just seems like so much of what's happened to you in your life, you've actually taken, taken advantage of that to continue to grow and, and bring into the next thing. So, you know, I wonder if like we could maybe just in a compressed format, could you just give us kind of an overview of like once you got out of prison and your MMA career? Well, when I got out again, the whew, MMA career is a long story yeah. because I was a pioneer. Mm -hmm. So I was, I was one of the first. So we, first of all, it was illegal everywhere. You know, even I lived in Missouri, you could only fight in Illinois, but you could, they had rules where you couldn't punch to the face on the ground. You could only hit the body on the ground, but you could do everything else. So it was, first of all, sometimes you you go to a show that you train for three months for, and there'd be a group of people petitioning, church people or something like that, and they, they'll shut it down. You know, sometimes the cops will come shut it down. Sometimes the police come shut it down, and the promoter would get into a fight with the cops, tell them, get out of here, you can't shut crap. You know, so it was, it was so much around it. There were no weight classes. You know, uh, sometimes there was no time limit. And I can even remember fighting one fight, I was I was known for my leg kicks because I was Muay Thai and I'm pow, kicking it, pow, tearing people up and, and busting their legs. So I broke a guy's femur bone in one of the fights. So the next fight I came, they said I couldn't use leg kicks. And I'm like, what? So they would just constantly take weapons from me. And then another one, I had a guy with an elbow and cracked his skull, you know, uh, fractured his skull. So the next fight, they said you can't use elbows. So it was it was real just unorganized. Uh, the pay was really low. You know, I can remember one time driving to Carbondale. Um, from you know from St. Louis and fighting there for seventy five bucks, but my hotel bill was one hundred and fifty. Mm. You know, so it was really really hard. You know, as and as I was fighting, 
I was trying to, I was, when I was working as a bodyguard, a bouncer and a janitor. So I, my, some of my most dangerous things, I almost died many times on the road. I mean, that's again, uh, that's why I have a really strong belief in a higher power in God because I would fall asleep at the wheel and I would wake up flying off off ramp. I mean, just, and you know, and I mean, probably, I could say probably five to six times this happened to me and not once did I hit anybody or hurt anybody. I mean, you're talking flying 60, 70 miles an hour because I'm driving, you know, from, cause I would train, then I would go to work as a bouncer, you know, then right after that, sometimes there's a little small bodyguard and then I was a janitor. Then I would sleep on my, my mom's floor where my sisters were getting up to go to school. So I'd be trying to sleep on the floor right there in the living room while they're stepping over me and I sleep for by four or five hours, then have to get up again and go back. So that I was constantly doing that. Plus I'm tired from training and I'd be driving uh, and fall asleep at that wheel and just, you know, so it was really, it was really, really difficult. You know, uh, uh, a lot of the, the uh, fight leads you'll see the, that I hope held my titles in right when I got the titles after that, the league shut down, you know, so I was the star, I was their guy. All right. And then just, you know, things that were so hard, things just go wrong. And the league was shut down. So it was, it was really uh, disheartening, you know, and, uh, you know, unmotivating. But the one thing I always knew is you just don't stop. You don't ever quit because if you quit right now, then you become the worst version of yourself. So no matter what your circumstances are, number one, there's always somebody out there who trade lives with you. <laughs> you know, I always say that. There's somebody out there who's saying, well, you can have my life and I'll take yours then. You know, so I always say, you know, don't ever cry more for yourself than you do for somebody else. And so and also I, I followed the code of Bushido. So I look at myself as samurai. I was a servant on a servant's path. My servant path was to, you know, at that time to fight MMA when I could, where I could, because I wanted to better my my skill so that when I'm teaching somebody self-defense, I'm not teaching them crap that don't work. Mm-hmm. You know, that this will work against somebody who's trying to attack you and knock your head off. You know, so if that happens to you in the alley, you can count on using this. You've got seven titles. Like, yes. what can you talk just talk us through that kind of progression from those early days up to that sort of pinnacle of your career. I think first three or four times were the SFC. Mm. And that was a, a, a league actually started by Brian Madden. And he was incredible. He was, you know, he was a Dana White, you know, uh, great ideas. He actually designed his type of fighting where it was going to make it into the Olympics. It was going to the Olympics. It was going to become an Olympic sport. And uh, right when his, his organization was peaking, I was actually one of his superstars on there because I was what you call a striker. Mm-hmm. You know, most people were into the jiu-jitsu back then and the audience didn't know what they were doing. They thought it was high school wrestling. So a lot of times the fighters would get booed, you know, but they come right in and they would just both clinch up and they're just wrestling around on the ground. Then somebody would tap out, the referee holding the hand up. Everybody say, what? What was that? But when I came out, I wouldn't go to the ground, people. I wouldn't let them take me to the ground. I bow, boxing and kicking them. So I was his superstar. Well, we were right on the verge of things just blowing up and then he ended up passing away. Mm. So when he passed away, that kind of just left me because he's my manager also just kind of out there. But then Monty Cox stepped in and tried to take over and help me. But I lived in St. Louis, which is where my great trainer, Ron Smith, was from. And I wasn't going to leave him. You know, I was I was bound by loyalty always. You know, a lot of people tried to get me. I know Frank Shamrock tried to get me to come to California with him. Um uh, Pat Militech, them trying to get me to come to Iowa with them and be on their team. You know, they say all your fights be on the UFC, you come with us. And I know they would have got it, they would have made it happen, you know. But Ron was the one who trained me well after I came out of prison and, you know, tied me up with things. So I'm not leaving my guy. <laughs> That's not happening. You know, this is not just about a successful career. This is about my life and the message that I'm sending. So uh, then I ended up actually, the, my 
first world title was Japanese world title because I fought in Japan, fought in Hawaii, fought in Canada, other countries. It was a lot, a lot of it was legal. And actually, when I won that title, and that was pretty, that was pretty fun because everything was young. And I was actually hanging with the Yakuza the whole time over there. You know, you got these guys, all these black limos and black Mercedes Benzes and everybody's kids with all the frosted hair. It was really cool, you know, so they just food everywhere, everybody, you know, all these gorgeous girls and all this stuff. So it was awesome. But then that league ended up shutting down right after I won the world title. You know, I'm the guy. Um, when I won a really important U.S. title, the uh, the uh, ISKA U.S. title, doing what's called uh, Sanchao, Chinese Sanchao kickboxing, I actually got put into the fight because, and I was fighting Kieda Muhammad. They thought he was going to beat me. And they didn't think, they didn't know that I knew judo because everything I was doing, I was always knocking people out. I would, I would hide my other way. I wouldn't use it unless I have to use it. So I never showed it. So, man, this guy fought. And I'm in a suplexing this guy, boom, hip tossing him, bow, just throwing him all over the place. And I was actually supposed to fight Kung Lee for the, um, like the world title. When I win this, Kung Lee was the, North American world champ, uh, U.S. champion, and I was like fighting for the U.S. I don't know some weird, you know, continent or whatever. And whoever won that, we supposed to fight for the world. He was his. I was supposed to win that. Well, I beat the guy, but from what I'm hearing, and this happened a lot in the fight game when they saw me doing those throws at the time, Kung Lee, they said Jermaine possibly could beat him. So I never got the fight. Mm. You know, and that was really really frustrating. So I'm like, man, come on, you know, because they're going to, of course, you know, they're always going to set the fights up for who they hope wins, especially when you got promotion behind him, which Kong Lee, you can see, went on to have a great career. He fought the UFC. He's been in movies, everything. So he was he was promoted and managed well. But I think that would have been a really good fight between him and I. And then I ended up finally getting a fight for the world title in Las Vegas, the first when they, the first MMA-sanctioned world title. And I won that one, won it in 22 seconds. And uh, after I won that, they had one more show. And they had, I'm going to tell you, the WFA has some, Good fighters, man. I mean, dangerous. Damn, when I won that title, you know, and people ask me, they're like, man, why aren't you, why aren't you happy? I say, because all of them looking at me now, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I'm looking at these guys, and they just doing it. They were like me. They were like me. I'm like, man, it's really going to get serious. And then that league closed down, you know. So everything was so bad back then. Everything was just shutting down. So you're building up, building up, real frustrated. You this all this work you'd have done, and then you get nothing out of it. You know, except, you know, a belt and a, a, a good reputation, of course. You know, so eventually um, I started trying to run my own show and uh, that went OK. And then I stopped fighting because, you know, I started, well, I've got pins and staples in my left foot. Mm-hmm. They've been there since I was about 15 years old. And so my foot was starting to go bad. You know, I was starting to have back problems, you know, just from just my whole life, lifting weights, fighting on the streets, everything else. And I said, you know what, man, first of all, I've never I was never a fighter. I don't like fighting. I just can fight, you know, and I fight. I use fighting as a tool to go to protect. I'm not a guy who wants to go and just beat people up. I never liked that. And I realized that I don't like I don't want my life to be hurting people. I don't want to get paid to just beat the crap out of somebody. That's not me. So I said, I need to go back to instruction. So yeah. that's why I stopped fighting. I said, I'm going back to instructing, back to the community. I'm here to help citizens. That's the main thing I was good at anyway. You know, I just have to be able to fight. Yeah. So I want to, I want to talk about that. It's a great pivot point because you have had, you know, we started this talking about like fearlessness and developing this fear, fearlessness. And, you know, it seems to me that, you know, your ability, you're, you're tough, man. I, I'm not, I never want to mess with you, man. Like, you know, 
you've you've developed this ability to defend yourself, to protect others, like you have this gift, right? But like I've studied your website. Like for example, one thing that you you say on your website is the greatest technique we can execute on another is kindness. That's right. And yep. I've heard you talk about compassion. And I just would love for you to kind of expound on that a little bit, because when, if somebody on the surface looks at, at some of the stuff that we've been talking about and then reads a quote like that, they might be confused. And yeah. so I'm curious, like, <laughs> can you, can you speak to that? Oh, definitely. If you, if you really, you know, trying to be a true martial artist, a war strategist, because martial means war. So that's a war artist, an artist of war. The whole idea is to win. And how do you win? You win by protecting your people, not by destroying others, because you ain't ever destroy everybody because you might destroy them and your people fall apart while you were doing it. Or I destroy him, but I got both my legs cut off in the process. Eh, what kind of life is that? So the best way to win a fight is for the fight not to happen. Because I always tell people nobody wins a street fight, because even if, you know, like you say, man, you, I'm a tough guy. Man, you get into it. I blah, 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 you take that sky and then you oh, OK. And I walk away and then three days from now, you go get a gun and come up to me and say, hey, Jermaine. Yeah. Boom. And blow me away. So anybody can find leverage to be stronger than someone else. So when you treat a person with kindness, you know, uh, that is the first step of self-defense is to not be offensive, to not agitate something to not give someone a reason to want to attack you and that's that you're stopping the attack and of course if i can stop the attack that's almost like a force field so my force field is kindness when i'm kind to someone it disarms you know their it disarms their jealousy it disarms their paranoia it disarms their discomfort you know you allow them to feel comfortable and relax and that's oh then now you're so far away from even getting into a fight with them so kindness, you know, if we all are kind to each other, that could stop a lot of stuff like that from happening. And then compassion is, you know, if I always say this when I meet someone, you know, um, I don't know what that person been through. And, you know, if I had to go through what that person been through, I might be 10 times worse than that person is now. That person may be 100 times stronger than I ever could be. And if I knew what he went through or she went through, I might admire that person. You know, so I'm always just holding that compassion that not even knowing what they've been through. I know they've been through something. Everybody has. That's what we're on this planet for as human beings. You know, so I know you've been through something. So just because I can't put my finger on it and say, oh my God, that's horrible. Doesn't mean it wasn't something horrible. So that compassion is automatically there when I meet somebody. I say, the last thing I want to do is mistreat this person. And then, you know, and, and treat them wrong. And, and then find out later that this person went through all of this and survived it. And Jermaine, you just triggered it because you've been a jerk. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I, 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 I keep that from ever happening by just having an automatic compassion for everybody that I run into. Mm. Yeah. Thank, thank you so much for that. Um, I want to kind of start to wrap up here by talking a little bit about where you are today, what you're doing in your career. And, and then we can kind of get into the, the fun piece of how we actually met. I've got, well, I've got a youth program where I take 13 year old boys mm -hmm. and I'm helping them to cross over to become men. You know, I tell the parents, I say at age 13 with a boy, that's when they're trying to become a man. And the first thing to becoming a man is get away from their parents. So they try to mentally um, 
separate themselves from their parents. They start, and that's what all, everybody, I want to kill my teenager. Oh my God, my teen hates me. I said, no, they don't hate you. It's just, you're you're an insult to them becoming a man in their mind. So I bring them in, I teach them how to defend themselves. Uh, I teach them, you know, I boost their character, teach them respect, teach them compassion, obedience, you know, uh, teach them how to control their minds, meditation, uh, take them to meet the local police, hang out with the chief police and all that crap people tell y'all about, you know, cops and this and that. Of course, there's bad cops, bad, you know, uh, uh, mailmen, bad checkout kind of just bad everything, bad martial artists, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Bad and good everything. But you can control what happens between you and a police officer by the way you act and behave because I've done it too many times to count. You know, where things just turn out incredible between me and a police officer because I treat them like a brother instead of like an enemy. So I teach them all that, you know, I teach them about their parents. I say, look, your parents did all this for you. Now that I know some of you guys, your parents may not even be taking care of you like they're supposed to, but you're going to learn about what's called self-resilience. And it's your time to learn how to take care of yourself because it may be your job to take care of your parents. So I'm really empowering these kids to come up strong and I make it out. I mean, I make them tough. They fight. I put, I teach them how to box and we put the gloves on. They put a mouthpiece in. I say, go. Jermaine, um, we didn't even scratch the surface today. There's so much depth to your story. There are so many more stories. Um, you're an author. You've got this book that I'm working on right now. Uh, Moy Tiger. I'm, I'm about 80 pages in. I can't wait to keep going with that. But, you know, other ways that people can, can learn more about you. Uh, JermaineAndre.com. Yeah. Okay, cool. And uh, just want to kind of give a shout out to our podcast producer, Ryan Dean, who put uh, us together. Uh, Ryan is also the inventor and creator of a self-defense tool called the Peacekeeper. And uh, this is a product that we've that that you're very heavily involved with. I'd love for you to just kind of share a little bit with uh, with listeners about the Peacekeeper. This is what's so cool about Peacekeeper. This is a great story. Um, I made a video probably I don't know, 15 years, you know, a long time ago. Yeah. My daughter was in town in uh because my daughter, she she grew up in Hawaii and she kind of brought her to St. Louis and she was in town and she was asking about people attacking people with keys. You know, dad, can that work? You know, you know, because people want they want to do this and fight somebody with keys. And I said, I said, get the camera, let's make a video about this. And so I made a video. I'm gonna send you the video too. Cool. And I'm talking about, I said, you know, with time what you got with the key, but I'm showing how you can hold it and you can make it work all these weird things you can do with it, you know, that I said, but you can't put it here because it'll break down. You, you hit something, it's going, it's not going to hold because of the handle. So I say the main thing, the most important thing about any weapon is the handle, a gun, a knife, a sword, even a stick. You have to have a good handle and a key has no handle. So uh, Ryan saw that video, strangely, I don't know how I put it on YouTube and he messaged me. He's like, hey, I saw that video. And he starts talking all this stuff. Peacekeeper asking, hey, would you be willing to, uh, you know, help us with the creation? Like, you know, test it, you know, uh, and uh, endorse it, this and that. And I said, yeah, I'm here, man. I'll, I'll help you out. So he starts sending, you know, prototypes. I'm testing. We break his stuff and going through it. And he keeps sending it back. And, you know, and, and Christian, I think Christian's a designer, I mean, genius. Who, you know, this guy that just keeps on rebuilding these things, rebuilding. That's the, that's the old version there. And we yeah. just, yeah, just redid it. Yeah. And just, just a side note for people that are listening and, and can't see the video, the peacekeeper is essentially a, um, specially designed case for your key. That's got a little, uh, handle grip that twists, uh, and it essentially turns your key into a self-defense tool. And so here's the fun part. So Ryan Dean is, we're communicating back and forth. Mm -hmm. Well, I get a lot of messages from people 
And a lot of them I don't respond to, and a lot of, most of them I don't take super seriously unless I know you. The whole time I'm dealing with Ryan Dean, I think it's Ryan Dean from Channel 5 St. Louis. Uh, <laughs> Ryan Dean from Channel 5 St. Louis, me and him, are, you know, we're good, great associates. I've been on his show three nice. or four times. So he's talking about making his peacekeeper thing. I'm like, well, why is Ryan Dean into making weapons? Like, okay, you know, that's my boy. I'm with it. And then maybe we can do a TV special about it. You know, I'm thinking this, you know, and all this stuff. And then I finally uh, end up realizing, I can't remember even when I realized that this was somebody totally different. Yeah. So I, I, I called her. I remember I called her. I said, Ryan, I thought you were another Ryan Dean. I didn't know you were something I tell her. I thought you were this news report. This, and I say, that really shows that we are connected on this project. Because I probably wouldn't even really responded to you. Yeah. If some guy asked me because people hit me up with stuff like that all the time, you know, on Facebook Messenger. I said the fact that I thought you were this reporter made me give you my attention. And so he's like, Well, are you still in? I said, Yeah, no, this is <laughs> that this is the best idea, the best weapon ever. And I I gotta say it, I say, I don't I don't uh recommend Peacekeeper because I endorse it. I endorse Peacekeeper because I recommend it. You mm-hmm. know, this is one of the best ideas for a self-defense tool for everybody, for, you know, adults, for uh, teenagers, college kids, you know, and you can take it anywhere with you. Yeah. It's small. It's simple. It's very easy to carry. Yeah. Thank you for the work that you're doing on this. And for listeners, we'll have a link to Peacekeeper in the show notes as well. Jermaine, I really want to thank you. I We could talk for hours. I want to thank you for spending some time with me today. One thing that I ask everybody that comes on this podcast, you have had an epic life with so much more for people to learn. And I know Hollywood at some point is going to make a movie about your life. And when they do, I want to know who's going to be the Hollywood actor that's going to play you in your movie. Ooh, I'm not much of a TV watcher, but um, it? Uh, Michael Jordan Jr. Nice. I played the bad guy in Black Panther. Okay. I nice. think he could be a good Jermaine because of I his, like it. his manner. You know, he's got that <laughs> manner. I love it. Yeah, what's your movie going to be called? Uh, well, it may either have to be Muay Tiger. <laughs> That's what I have to call it. Perfect. I love it. Muay Tiger. Jermaine, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for all the wisdom. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Uh, for those listening, I hope you've been inspired today as much as I have. I hope Jermaine's story has encouraged you to listen to that voice inside that calls you to adventure because we want to hear your story next. If you have a story to tell, or just need a nudge to create one, please send me an email. We'd also appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word by leaving a review and sharing or tagging Inspire Campfire in your social media. And until next time, I want to encourage you to get outside. Thanks for listening. Jermaine, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you, everybody, for listening.